Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. We're going to be talking about women in the Bible today. That's right. We're going to look at some of the amazing and impactful women in the Bible, tell you their stories and why you should learn more about them. And one in particular, you may be surprised by this, but the longest conversation that Jesus had with another person in the New Testament was actually with a woman. Wait to find out. back to another episode, guys. Um, this is definitely an interesting topic. Some, some of our listeners have requested to as well. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of very interesting women in the Bible. And some of these stories are really, I don't think what you'd expect from what people would try to consider holy people. And just like so many people in the Bible, men and women, yeah. they're, they're real people with real challenges, real issues that make them very human. And that's what the Bible is is the story of humanity's struggle to stay truthful to God. And God's mercy exactly. constantly and covenantal relationships. And yeah, and, and these, women, these women really stand out for their fidelity, for their courage, and they show all kinds of attributes that uh, I think everyone should know about, and these are not typically well-known people in the Bible. Yeah, feminine attributes and virtue that's contained within the scriptures have inspired women throughout the ages of the church. Mm-hmm. And I know outstanding women of holiness throughout uh, the life of the church in, in the forms of the saints have had such a huge impact on my life. But it's pretty interesting that you know a recent study lists women at being over 720,000 women professed in the religious life in the Catholic Church, which far outshines any any amount of men consecrated within the church. And they're drawing those virtues from biblical values and from the traditions of women being so uh, given to what is holy. Like you look at how churches are run too. I mean, many, many of these women are running our churches mm-hmm. uh, in, in respect to service. And, mm-hmm. and a big shout out to Kim, how much she serves at uh, St. John Paul II. Yeah, you know, in today's world, they, the idea is that men and women are equal and men and women have to be the same to be equal. And, that, and that's a really terrible thought because men and w- sameness is not the same as equality. They're different, and they're different by God's design, and they're different in ways that make them superior to men in some things, right? There's a complementarity to men and women that you need both to really fully play out God's plan for humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most importantly, it gives you a glimpse into who God is, mm-hmm. you know, as a it, In his fullness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because God is neither male, male nor female, right. but perfectly male and female. Yep. That all things are contained within God. Mm-hmm. And God manifests himself in the fullness of creation, especially in his image and likeness, man and woman, he created them. Although God's chosen pronoun is he, him. <laughs> That's how they. he... They. It's also <laughs> they. As Trinity. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I just think that the modern world tends to try to say, well... You know, or or you know, some sorts of feminism. Well, women, if you want to be like a man, you have to be tough like a man. You have to go into the workplace. You have to be able to you know stand your ground in an argument. You have to be a man to be equal to a man. And and that's that's such a backwards thought because women are perfectly virtuous in their own right, in their own identity as women. That should be celebrated. They should not have to, I guess, compete with men as men to be considered the true equal and the complementarity of God's creation. And, and that distinction is, is what places feminism at, at its root, which was just such a good movement. If we, if we want to look into that, and I highly recommend if you haven't, look into Edith Stein and, and St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. 
you know, this beautiful woman who was uh, converted from Judaism to Catholicism and ultimately died in Auschwitz in uh, the prison camp during World War II. Uh, her philosophy and, and what really set into motion from her ministry is truly at its core exactly that. Mm -hmm. And where you see this discord and this kind of combat between the sexes, that's clearly a perversion of what is in that complementarity between man and woman. Now, we aren't going to get into the show and talk about feminism today, but we're going to be talking about very interesting women mm -hmm. in biblical text from Old Testament to New Testament and ultimately come to share with you the beautiful interaction that Jesus had in the longest conversation recorded in the Bible with a woman. Yeah, and you think, well, holy women, well, they're going to be meek and quiet, and they're not going to say anything, and they're just going to be in delicate marble, barely talking or moving. But that's not the case. The Bible really shows the the wide variety and the spectrum of how women can act in holiness. And I think a great place to start with that is a really unexpected ancestor of Jesus. Yeah. One of Jesus's ancestors was not a Jew, but a Canaanite, not considered a virtuous woman, but a prostitute. You know, we all have people in our family lines who would surprise us. But even in Jesus's genealogy, there's a Canaanite prostitute who without her, the Jews and the Hebrews would have never gotten control of the Holy Land, and that's Rahab. Rahab is an incredibly interesting figure to me because there's a lot in this story about, I don't know, military intrigue and strategy. It's like, and spy games, right? It's a really interesting thing. So when the Hebrews were coming into the Holy Land to take possession of it, and they were fighting the battle of Jericho, right? When we all know Jericho, right? Joshua goes around with the Blown horns blowing down the walls. And Jericho is famous for its walls. Now, in the ancient world, a lot of times the walls were also parts of structures of people's houses, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Rahab was a prostitute, and her house was built into the wall of Jericho. Now, Joshua sent in a couple of spies to try to find out weak points in the walls, right? Because in ancient warfare, it was all about breaching the walls. It was all about getting inside the city because the walls, you can... You can have a siege in the last two years, right? And by the time the internal provisions run out, your army's got to go back. So getting through the walls was everything. So Joshua sends these two spies to try to find a way into the wall, and they go in through Rahab's house. Now, the soldiers of the Canaanite soldiers of Jericho are doing a sweep trying to find them, right? Or trying to find any infiltrators, and Rahab hides them on the roof of her house so that they're not found and then kind of gives aid and assistance to the Hebrew army. Because of this, they were able to take the city. Um, and the soldier said, look, for giving us shelter, for not turning us over, when we take the city, we're gonna spare your family. All you have to do is hang a red rope out of your window. Now, a lot of people say this is where the concept of a red light district comes from, right? And a red light district is typically where Prostitutes, Prostitutes assemble, right? So they take the city, but because of her cooperation and because of this red light, this red rope, she survives. And because she survives, we also ultimately get the lineage of Jesus Christ. And that's a really profound story in that in Jesus's humanity, there is a real display of humanity, both in war, spycraft, um, illicit behavior that ultimately converts and becomes something for the positive. Mm -hmm. and, and it's even in the lineage of, of Jesus as it relates to Solomon mm -hmm. and Bathsheba. Yeah. You know, that, that even Bathsheba, David's heart was moved in, in the forms of attraction toward Bathsheba, ultimately leading to the murder of Uriah. And, you know, the fact that Solomon was born out of out of that relationship that then ultimately leads to the lineage of Jesus says a lot about our humanity's fallen nature mm -hmm. and the redeeming action of Jesus's love for us. Um, so, you know, in, in similar fashion, you can kind of, you can see, you know, God interacting with humanity biblically, biblically 
And then also, you know, that, that Jesus, the Son of God, would be born into, into these lines. Yeah, and it also gives us a look into our own lineage, mm-hmm. like you were saying earlier. It's like, you know, uh, one of the biggest errors in Christianity for those looking outside in is like, oh, you know, you go to church, you must be good. It's like, oh, man, if you look at the Bible and the history and the lineage of my own family, yeah. the yeah. fact that you even said that is just absolutely categorically false, yeah. and it's it's actually a dumb statement. It's, it's <laughs> like, as she was saying before, like, we'd be surprised just, like, looking at our fa- own family, oh, yeah. but, like, looking in the mirror. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. surprised yeah. that I'm a, I'm a priest, you know yeah. what I mean? Like Me too, trust and, me. And, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, you know, it's it's fascinating to experience firsthand the mercy of God and to and to see this, you know, written into sacred scripture. And and it has been so imprinted on the history of salvation and in our own experience, you know, in, in our own generation. Yeah, and, and the other thing is is how many of us, especially in this generation, have had issues in their family that really harm us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, issues in your family that that require healing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And and if you look in Scripture and a lot of these stories that we're going to tell, there is a process of healing that mm-hmm. is involved. There is a process of restoration that's involved in some of these stories. Yeah, I mean, it's the story of humanity. Yep. And that story can't be told without men and women, both incredibly virtuous and never have felled, and women and men who have fallen and gotten back up. Yep. That's the story of humanity. Um, I think another one talking about kind of family lineages is Ruth. Mm-hmm. Now, Ruth was a Moabite. Okay, again, this is another non-Hebrew mm-hmm. descendant of Jesus. Right? I'm not sorry, not descendant, ancestor of Jesus. So. Ruth had traveled with her Canaanite, with her Moabite family, and ultimately had moved to um, the Holy Land, right? Mm-hmm. And she was living there, but then all of her, her husband, her father-in-law, her brother-in-law, they all died. Okay, so now she's there as a widow in a strange land, having been married to uh, an Israelite. Now she she has no family connection. She's out on her own. She's a stranger among strange people, but she maintains fidelity to her family by staying with her mother-in-law, Naomi, which in the ancient world, when your husband died and your brother-in-law died and your father-in-law died, you had no more ties to that family. You had no, um, you had no demand to take care of your mother-in-law, but she did because that's the right thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Even though her mother-in-law was... An Israelite, she was a Moabite. When she could have easily went back to her home and found a new husband and led a good life, happy life. But she stays with Naomi. And ultimately, through her kindness, through her goodness of taking care of her mother-in-law, when she didn't have to, Naomi helps her marry a man named Boaz. Boaz becomes the grandfather of David. Or maybe the great-grandfather. I think the grandfather of Jesse and the great-grandfather of David. But again, you have this foreign woman, no obligation to do what she does, but she does so out of the goodness and fidelity to her vows and ends up ultimately becoming a non-Hebrew ancestor of Jesus. Yeah, so Ruth's character of kindness and generosity, mercy in, in many respects, categorizes uh, feminine virtue in such a beautiful way. And I can't help but relate that to Proverbs 31, something that we hear time and time again within the sacrament of matrimony. And when men and women are getting together, we hear a wife of noble character who, who can find. She is worth more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. You know, that the sense of that feminine virtue, is, as Proverbs 31 continues, we, we can see so beautifully in, in Ruth. Yeah, and, you know, and Ruth, after the death of her husband and her family, she, she goes and she works. Mm-hmm. She's working. That's why her and um, Naomi travel because she's going to be a harvester for the 
the, the grain harvest in Bethlehem. And to verse 20 of the, of the 31st uh, proverb, she opens her arms to the poor. Yeah. and extends her hands to the needy. It's like that sense of, of compassion mm-hmm. and, and recognizing the plight of the widow and, and those who are most in need. Yeah. It's a different story of grace, mm-hmm. you know, with, uh, with Ruth than it is with, you know, Rahab. Yeah, that's right. But I, I like that she, you know, in the ancient world, a woman working to support a mother, you, you know, you're in the ancient world is like, Go get a husband, otherwise you're useless. You know. It reminds me of this. Very, it's like a single mother. Oh, you know? it's, it truly is. I, I met this uh, single mother in um, Jamaica. Different circumstances, even more, uh, you know, difficult. Dire. But yeah, more, way more dire. She had like eight kids, and she's caring for those kids. The father of those children left her. She's in this very impoverished uh, region on on the side of a mountain, and not only is she taking care of her her kids she's also taking care of her mother-in-law which is just it blew my mind mm-hmm. you know and and she's su- such a faithful woman so glad that we were able to build her a home um it was a very powerful experience another figure in the old testament that's really interesting and really shows kind of the the power the guy on the leadership of woman is judith now judith is uh, i'll just say it, she's badass mm-hmm. okay so Nebuchadnezzar was sending in the Assyrian army to take over Israel. And men, the set generals, the soldiers of Israel, like, we're kind of, our, our goose is cooked, right? And Judith was irritated that they didn't trust in God to deliver them in battle. So Nebuchadnezzar had sent out this general, his main general, Holofernes, right? And he's marching down, he's about to take the land, but he has to stop to water, right? He has to stop to get his troops water and everything like that. So she's like, look, if the men aren't going to do this, I'm going to take it into my own hands. So she and one of her handmaidens goes, and she was an incredibly beautiful woman. So she goes and meets with this general and says, hey, I've got information. I can show you how to get in. She's basically playing a double agent. She's like, I'm going to show you where to go, how to get this land. I'm going sh- to give you information and intelligence on the Israel, the uh, Hebrew troop movements. And cool. So then she gets into Holofernes' tent and gains his trust. And do you ever see Indiana Jones, um, the first one where Marion gets the archaeologist drunk and then pulls a knife on him? I think that story was inspired by this because she gets Holofernes drunk and then when he passes out, she cuts his head off. (laughs) Straight slices dude's head off and shows it to the to the Hebrew Army, soldiers yeah. and like, what's up now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's badass. I, I love how this is progressing, the show's progressing because it's showing all these different capacities mm-hmm. and, and, um, and qualities of women, you know? And this in the form of a bold, intrepid, courageous woman going out in defense, like, you know, like a, a mother's response in defense of her children, you know, any threat, you know, a woman's going to be right there up front confronting mm-hmm. to the point of violence to defend her children. Yeah, Mama bear. But all the men were cowering in fear of this overwhelming army. And she's like, you guys don't trust in the Lord, and I do, and I'm going to take care of it. And she brings back the head, and she's like, and shows it to the feel, the, all the fearful Hebrews, like, this is what the power of God is. Like, look, you can just do it. It's like Joan of Arc, man. I mean, that's just phenomenal. You know, and an interesting thing about her is that she, after this, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Judith. She's one of the most beautiful women who's ever lived. Mm -hmm. And everyone tried to marry her, and she remained um, unmarried her whole life. Mm -hmm. She remained a virgin, remained consecrated to God, and it's almost like a, a, a... She's like the Old Testament equivalent of the Knights Templar for women. Mm. She's a consecrated virgin, women's religious warrior. Warrior. It's awesome, man. Like, so, you know, it's almost like the women's uh, version of the Knights Templar. I think it's super cool. Mm. It's a great story. Uh, a lot of historical context with the Assyrians and Nebuchadnezzar and Holofernes. I mean, it's such a cool story that also shows that women have this capacity to lead and to have courage when even... The, the soldiers and the men did not. And, and you know, look at, look at many marriages that are out there that, you know, women are calling men to be more courageous and, and step up, you know. 
you know, we've partnered with Exodus 90, for example, for, for uh, a number of years now, and we appreciate that relationship, you know, but I've seen so many women call their men to Exodus 90. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, I, I think that's a, a very, very important quality within the dynamics of marriage. Um, and I see that time and time again. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a running theme here of these women and, and why we chose these ones to talk about is, first of all, they're very interesting. That's right. But the running theme here is that without their actions, salvific history and God's plan for humanity could not have played out. And we see that all the way through to Mary as a co-redemptrix, mm-hmm. that her cooperation and saying yes in her fiat allows God to take the actions that he intends for humanity. Mm-hmm. And that it's women's cooperation throughout all of biblical history that leads us to have the church and the faith preserved for thousands and thousands of years. It's not, it's not just in scripture, and it's also, you know, in everyday life. Absolutely. You know, the, the, I mean, even to this day, the Holy Spirit works in and through women. Yeah, where would we be out without our mothers and grandmothers? I mean, a lot of times for our generation, those are the ones who preserve the faith and pass it on. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot for a lot of our generation, and I'm sure other generations, the religious instruction of children was left to the mothers mm-hmm. and the grandmothers. And, and again, it's that preservation of faith that is a common theme of all of these women that we're covering. Yeah, it was certainly in my life. You know, my mom held it together, uh, you know, through divorce and, and raised my sister and I. And, and my grandmother was certainly a huge part of that, That's living right. with her and, and teaching me about the faith, teaching me about the rosary and the blessed mother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back to Our Lady, you know, God doesn't force his hand. He wants to elicit our voluntas. He wants mm-hmm. to elicit our, our our willingness to participate and cooperate uh, in the life of grace. And, you know, her fiat is just such a, a, a monumental uh, expression of openness to God's will. Uh, May it be done unto me according mm-hmm. to thy will, according to thy word. So, you know, we're, we're seeing God interact with femininity throughout the Old Testament. And I think it would be tragic if we don't touch on, on Esther. Yeah, Queen Esther, absolutely great story. You know, um, again, this is another woman, again, in this running theme, who preserved the faithful, the people of God. And it was, it was it's kind of conversely a little different, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this case, because, you know, we're talking about Xerxes from 300, basically. Yeah, it's the Achaemenid Empire, the emperor, the king, the king of kings. Yeah, like a very powerful uh, army. Yeah. Huge, powerful army. The hegemonic power in the world. The, the children of Israel are yeah. in exile, yeah. you know, and, and you know, she's... They're powerless. They're absolutely powerless. She's beautiful Mm -hmm. and as she as she works her way into the affections of the king well the king didn't like his old wife well what what happened was i mean like this is like a henry the eighth situation well yeah like like so they're they're drunk they're partying (laughs) essentially (laughs) and he wants like a beauty pageant you know and he wants his wife to come out and to inspire his his uh court and what she wouldn't do bag. it. She wouldn't do it. She's like, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm not your piece of meat, Xerxes. So he dis- <laughs> so he dismisses her, and then he draws up in the beauty of of his encounter with Esther. He's he's so moved by her beauty that she comes out mm-hmm. and now is winning the affections of the king, mm-hmm. and ultimately coming to the position where now Haman is is there, and he wants to wipe out all of the children of Israel. Just mm-hmm. wipe them all out. Yeah, we had this we had this immigrant problem. Let's just get rid of them. Yeah. And well not immigrant captives of war, but still, yeah. <laughs> oh, Israel finds itself in the courts of a king once again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Israel Israel has a a bad habit of that happening too, you know. <laughs> it happens pretty much like yeah. every time they're under well, I mean, you know, they're, in, because we have to understand the place where they are. They're yeah. right in between the great empires of the world. Oh, yeah. And they are basically the axis between Egypt, Persia, Assyria, um, Asia Minor, Arabia. They're right there, and they have all these forces always. They're kind of like the Poland of the ancient yeah, world, right. where they're between great empires, and they're always 
being taken over by one side and used as a buffer state to the other. And then being in exile, they're defenseless. Yeah. <laughs> they're completely defenseless. And, you know, so the, the story continues with, you know, like Haman calling for Israel to prostrate, essentially just kind of subject themselves give to up. him. Yeah, and, and to completely give up. Um, and Mordecai, who's, who's uh, Esther's cousin and guardian, you know, it's just he's he's like, I will not, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I won't do that. And, and that represents the resiliency of the children of Israel in the face of, you know, oppressive extinction. forces and extinction. Yeah. And without. So what but basically happens is Mordecai and Esther find of a plot to kill the king and they tip off the king to this plot. The king is not then overthrown and murdered. And then out of gratitude, he basically removes the order to kill all the Jews. Mm -hmm. Again, preserving the heritage and the bloodline of the people of God. Again, this preservation, you, you see that time and time again that these people are acting in history and God is acting through them to preserve his people and have the story continue. Using and, them for massive political maneuvers. That's right. And what I love about the virtue... But they're also... They're not just being used. They are, they are of their own volition acting with their own intelligence, with their own courage, and they are an instrument. They're not being used because a lot of times you think, well, a woman is a pawn. Let's just marry her up. They have their own distinct character. And that's, you know? what, and that's what's so striking about Esther. She's a tactician. I yeah. mean, she tactfully has now preserved in a very maternal way, mm -hmm. in a very feminine way, preserve the very heart of Israel. So you think of Eve as the rib of, of Adam, like she's preserving and protecting the heart mm -hmm. and, and, and their very life. And in this story of humanity that we're talking about, I mean, you have so many kings and uh, Hebrews throughout time that just literally just sell out Israel. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like not, they're not even in a position of, of fear. They're just, in a position of strength and they just sell out to other people for money and women or whatever. And then you have these like courageous stories mm -hmm. of people who are on the, on the backs of these generations True. having to come in and save, save the, the people of Israel. And yeah. we, we see that scale in, in society today. Uh -huh. so. You know, a lot of these women make me think of a St. Catherine, how she got, Went over to Avignon and told the Pope, man, it's time to get back yeah. to Rome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You what you doing with us? Yeah. It's like, it shows the, the courage and the kind of authority that women have to say, this is the right action. It's that corrective Amen. action that women can wield so effectively to keep, <laughs> you know, keep the family, keep the people together, you know? Because women are a unifying mm. factor in the human race. Very true. Now, the next one I think is kind of a two for one. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is the mother of Moses and the sister of Moses. Because again, I don't think you could tell the story of the people of God without Moses as the central oh, figure of, of the Old Testament. Of you course. know, I mean, he, it is the Mosaic law. He is the one who brings, you know, he's the archetype of the, uh, of the Messiah, bringing the people out and putting them in contact and making a covenant with them, with God. Right. So his mother's name was Jochebed, okay? And the, again, this is another time where the Hebrews were out of their land, they're living in Egypt, and they're multiplying and causing a threat to the, the political structure. And you, you saw this in Europe in the 1930s. You saw this in the story of Queen Esther. Now you're seeing it in Egypt that, you know, as the Hebrews start, start to multiply, their distinct character as being monotheistic would threaten the other powers around. Mm -hmm. And they don't want them in their land. And they think of them as a political threat because they can't, by their religious nature, integrate into the society. They can't go and worship Amun-Ra. They were also thriving in a particular way, too. Well, well. yeah, because, they, I mean, they have, they, they're, they're very um, capable people. Mm -hmm. uh, but then they, they wouldn't... Um, you know, integrate into the worship of Marduk, right? And that's what's going on with Queen Esther. So because of their religious nature, and this passes through Christians, well, we can't make a sacrifice to Caesar, so we're getting executed. 
So again, they're posing a threat to the Pharaoh. So Pharaoh puts out the, um, the command that all male Hebrew sons are to be killed. Mm-hmm. Jochebed, Moses' mother, hides Moses for three months, okay, where to preserve him. But when she can't hide him anymore, she puts him in the basket of reeds it's one and of the floats epic, him down the yeah, river. One of the most epic biblical stories. And, and what, I, what I love the, the most is, you know, Miriam, you know, Moses' sister, mm-hmm. works her way in and then convinces that, you know. She's one of the handmaidens of the Pharaoh's daughters. Yeah, and, and she convinces Pharaoh that we need to nur- a Hebrew woman needs to nurse this child. Mm-hmm. And who, who does she get? But Moses', Moses is mom. mom, which is just so, it's, it's beautiful. You know, but here's, here's the thing. So number one, that preserves the line and it leads to Moses. And Miriam's considered a prophetess mm-hmm. too, right? But this story parallels so many of the stories that you heard during World War II, during the Holocaust and the Shoah, okay? It really, you hear so many stories like this of mothers finding ways for their children to be gotten out of, uh, to, live. Uh, to get out of the Nazi occupation where they're going to be, you know, oppressed and murdered. And it's, 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 there's a lot of parallels you'll see of that kind of courage and that selfless action uh, that you see in Jochebed that you saw in a lot of the mothers of, you know, the Shoah. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I love this. I love this biblical story. And it always, you know, because of the nursing uh, nature and the, and the tenderness and the love of a mother uh, that's really described here is just the virtue of motherhood mm-hmm. um, and the protective nature, once again, uh, shown in such a, a powerful way, and that God fulfills the desire of a mother's cry in this form of protecting Moses. Um, you know, how can how can we not look to the Blessed Mother again? Mm-hmm. Now, when, when we talk about interesting women in the Bible, obviously the mother of God, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother the of Jesus. The greatest woman in the Bible. You know, she's most blessed, most favored mm-hmm. of all women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we would not be able to do a show without referencing her in a consistent manner throughout and then giving a shout out to our own patroness here in the Diocese of St. Augustine, Nuestra Señora de la Leche, Our Lady, who nurses Jesus at her breast, mm-hmm. calling to mind what what this biblical uh, story kind of refers to. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's it's hard for a mother to to do certain things. It's hard for uh, we will never understand the bond between a, a woman and their child. And it's a great just, mystery. It is a great mystery. I mean, it's a mystery to them too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, you think of the courage that it takes for her to just stick him in a basket and float him down the river. And, you know, or the courage it takes a mother to put their child on a boat, see, knowing they'll never see him again, mm-hmm. or to put him in the care of people, of strangers, just to preserve them. You know, that takes courage, but it also takes ingenuity and faith, mm-hmm. you know? No, that's um, true. I, I don't think we can also talk about this, this, this theme of the preservation of the bloodline without talking about where it really originates at. Now, we say Christianity and Judaism and Islam are all Abrahamic faiths. I like how we're going backwards toward the toward yeah. the book of Genesis now yeah. to Abraham. Yeah, because, you know, they're the Abrahamic faiths, and Abraham is our common father. Yes. Well, then who's our common mother? Sarah. But Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. Sarah. You know, and I think she gets left out of that story a little mm-hmm. bit too much because she had the same faith. She was 90 years old. You know, she had... She had ancestors as numerous as the stars, just like Abraham did. Mm-hmm. And, and she was suffering on the so, under the social stigma of not having children, mm-hmm. even worse than, than the the Abraham. Yeah. She, she would be considered the mother of faith. Then. She, <laughs> would would <laughs> she not? Has, has, mm-hmm. has that title ever been granted to her? Uh, I, I, I don't know. You, but have it, may, it, you may have just established that. I hereby but you know, the authority vested in me in the Catholic talk show. <laughs> by the authority vested in me by being in the Catholic talk show, we are now Sariac faiths. <laughs> but you know, she, you know, she was pursued by the Pharaoh. She stayed true to her husband. Mm-hmm. She was generous. She was faithful. Um, she had the little issue with Hagar. We'll, we'll just kind of gloss over that, right? <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, who wants to see their man with another, you know, woman mm-hmm. uh, that that led to Ishmael? Apparently Solomon had it all worked out, though. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> no thanks, dude. Um, but yeah, I mean, if she had she had um, a child at ninety years old, she was even her son's name Isaac was because when she said when Abraham says, "Well, we're gonna have a kid," and she's like, "Abraham, dude, ninety years old," and she laughed. And Isaac means Yishtak, God laughed. Mm. And he laughed, right? So her laughter, you know, but she cooperates in it. And it's kind of, again, an archetype of Our Lady in that she cooperates with God's plan to bring about a lineage, right? Mm. And our lineage as, you know, adopted sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ, through the fiat of Mary, goes all the way back to Sarah's fiat of saying, I don't know how it's going to happen. This is funny to me, but let's see what happens, mm-hmm. right? No, oh, yeah, it's, it's it's very true. You know, so from from the Old Testament identity, you know, shifting now to the New Testament uh, women of, of great interest, you know, there, there are many women in the New Testament, um, many Marys in all reality. There's a lot of Marys. Mary Clopas, you know, Mary Magdalene, um, you know, Mary and Martha. Mary Martha. I mean, there, there are just so many Marys throughout the New Testament, and all of them present uh, very interesting qualities. Um, and, the, you know, the devotion of, of Mary Magdalene, mm-hmm. you know, throughout, and then at the resurrection. Mary you know, Magdalene the was the first to, to pronounce. Evangelize, you know, like, the first to pronounce the resurrection. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So, you know, and that is the good news. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the first one to, to formally evangelize after the resurrection is Mary Magdalene, and she boosts the faith, faith of the apostles and sets them into motion, which is also another feminine action of virtue. Again, and I think the courage here. Look, all the other apostles cheesed out besides John. Mm-hmm. They all skipped Dodge. She was right there next she to the She was right there. John, mm-hmm. Mary, and Martha, mm-hmm. and the mother of Jesus, all there. That's bravery. It, I mean, really how many how, how many of us would have followed Jesus to the cross? I think everyone thinks they would, but it's more likely that they would be like the apostles who ran and hid in hidden fear. Mm-hmm. But not them. That's no. brave. And, you know, out of, out of all of the women in the New Testament, you know, we would look to the Blessed Mother, we would look to Mary Magdalene, uh, or, or maybe Mary and with Martha and Lazarus, mm-hmm. as being women that Jesus would hold the longest conversations with. But in all reality, the longest conversation that was had in the New Testament with Jesus was actually with the Samaritan woman. So on multiple levels, what Jesus is doing here that's ridiculed by the apostles is something completely revolutionary, but at the same time really showcases the heart of God toward women and and eliciting that virtue of a response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the woman at the well is a really fascinating story. It's a fascinating microcosm of conversion, of being called, of examination of conscience, of a real personal interplay between divinity and humanity, and that it happens with a Samaritan woman mm-hmm. is such an interesting aspect, right? And and the well where it happens at too is a nice um is a is a nice element to the story. So why don't you read the scripture mm-hmm. of this? Absolutely. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So Boo. he came to... <laughs> he seemed, he, and, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's, so he had to... It's not like, hey, I want to go through Samaria, Samaria. He had to. It's like, I don't want to go through East Cleveland. I have to, right? Chain apart, boy. Thank you for taking me through East Cleveland, by the way, though. Yeah, that's fine. I, I, I took you to 99th and St. Clair because yeah. it's the thuggish Rogers e- Exactly, which I appreciate. I know you did. Um, so now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, 
you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. She'd think it was like vitamin water or something. Like, hey, I just one drink and I'm cool. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you, have what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Then the disciples rejoined Jesus. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So in this, in this gospel passage, you know, the Samaritans now that, that are absolutely uh, outsiders in, in every respect are brought in and many come to believe. And, but, but this records the greatest conversation that has ha taken place between anybody, yeah. Jesus and anybody. In the I, New Testament. It's also, I think, one of his boldest proclamations is his character as Messiah. Because when the Messiah is, you know, when the, the apostles say, you know, who are you? And he says, I am the Messiah. They're like, tell no one. Mm -hmm. Tell no one. But Jesus tells the Samaritan woman who's just trying to get a drink of water. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting play there. You know, you don't want the apostles to pronounce this, but you're allowing a Samaritan woman to pronounce it. Mm -hmm. I, it's always curious as to why it was like that. Um, well, I think a lot of that was is worked out in Scripture, where it's it, it was his time. It was not his time, and so, so a lot of these people that he healed, he asked not to do that because the 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 tension and the drama has not yet fully unfolded to where the him disclosing it to the the Jews mm -hmm. right th through this persecution, and this is just kind of like you know, you're you're on the outskirts. This is. Let's go, you know. Well, that's just another my... thing. Another thing I see too is, you know, how many how many women, more so than men, respond to the life giving waters of Jesus's mercy, mm -hmm. and it, it's evident with the women of Jerusalem. It's evident with, you know, Mary and Martha. It's evident throughout how many religious women are professed and consecrated in the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. and and clearly, um, at at daily mass. In every church I've ever 100%. been in, you know, there's a greater majority of women. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a responsiveness to the masculinity of of Jesus Christ in the purity of masculinity, as well as this life giving water. Jesus discloses himself in in a very open and manifest way, mm -hmm. and and that's why, like for me in my identity, like I, I don't look at myself like I'm married to the church. Mm -hmm. Women are married to Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the, the way yeah. that they, the way that they approach their vocation is yeah. different. For me, I look at my life as I'm a steward, yeah. you know, I, I exercise the in persona Christian in respect to the sacraments I celebrate. Yeah. But outside of that, man, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm a laborer and I've consecrated myself to that labor in the vineyard. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, so respectively, there's something different in the dynamic. I had the blessing and talk about life-giving waters and I thirst. I had the blessing of working with the contemplative nuns of the missionaries of charity, which is a, a mm-hmm. contemplative order yeah. of the active order of the missionaries of charity. And also the Trinitarian Sisters of Mary in San Diego. Seeing that feminine response and, and ministering to them and that experience of what that did for my, for my heart I mean, I, I wish I could still continue to to do that mission and ministry, um, because of that that sense of responsiveness and the way Jesus opens his heart toward women. Yeah, yeah. the uh, Michael Calloway, follow Michael Calloway. His his story is amazing. You can check it out anywhere, really online. But one of the things that stuck out to me in my conversion and going to adoration every day for a couple of years before entering the seminary and just seeing all the women. That would sit with Jesus in devotion, like tons. I mean, it's 99.9%. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things he mentions is that he used to go into the church very in a very similar manner, and there would be a lot of Filipino women in there just like reciting the rosaries, coming up to him. And he's just like, you know, I was thinking like, these, these women are literally holding the church up. They absolutely are. <laughs> like they're are. propping it Without up right now. Without a doubt. <laughs> like, you know, and I, a doubt. I think, well, one really interesting part of that story is that they're at Jacob's well. Mm -hmm. And Jacob becomes Israel because they struggle with God. And Samaritans are struggling with God. But Jesus is explaining. I think it's an interesting wordplay there and an interesting location that it happened at. But, Ryan, to your point that women are holding the church together, I think men need to respond to the courage and the leadership of women, how they are active in the church, how they are taking these roles. And men have been deadbeat dads as far as the church goes for the last hundred years at least mm-hmm. where we're not manning our role. And it needs that complementarity between women and men. Like women are like, well, the church is too feminized. Well, then do something about do it. Do something about it. And, and, I, and I do see that happening, though, like especially oh, yeah. like in, in my church, like the, the men that are coming to religious education and the dads that are responding like it's it's happening and and I think it's 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 a grassroots it's not because we have something in our water over here right it's it's happening universally Mm -hmm. because there is such an abscess and women are calling us out Mm -hmm. to step up to the wheel you know to to step up to the wheelhouse Delacrosse wheelhouse yeah yeah Yeah. knock it out of pot (laughs) (laughs) now we want to call our our listeners and our followers to a couple things one of them is that we're going on a pilgrimage, and that's going to be an incredible trip. Mm-hmm. So we really want to invite you. We are going this November to Fatima to see one of our favorite women, our favorite woman, which is the Blessed Virgin Mary mm-hmm. and her apparition at Fatima. So, yeah, Fatima is an amazing place, as we all know. In the early 20th century, the apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary to shepherd children. Uh, the, the story is fascinating, but the place has impacted people's faith life in such a huge way. My grandfather went when, when he was in the Navy. I haven't been able to go yet, so I am thoroughly excited about going. We're going to the birthplace of St. Anthony of Padua. We're going to a uh, what a 13th century Eucharistic That's miracle, right. um, which I'm super excited about. We're going to go to the place where Porto wine was invented and, mm-hmm. and where those grapes are. It's going to be an incredible time to pray and play. Yeah, we're going to go to the Venice of Portugal where there's gondola rides and great shopping, great food. But like you said, there's going to be daily mass, confession, and there's going to be all of our listeners and us going on this beautiful pilgrimage to see the place where Our Lady appeared in Fatima. And again, like you said, the birthplace of St. Anthony of Padua, the miracle maker, right? We're going to beautiful churches, beautiful scenery, and Portugal is an amazing country. This is a very affordable trip. Uh, If you go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash Fatima, you can find the different options for it. There's an optional extension to go to Especially for people in Northeast Florida and Ponte Vedra, where we have our church at St. John Paul II, we're actually doing an extension to Ponte Vedra and Santiago de Compostela. That's right. So there's an optional two-day extension. So there's a town in Portugal that's named after Ponte Vedra, Florida? It's in Spain. Florida. It's, in Spain. Mm-hmm. it's in Spain. And that's where Ponte Vedra was amazing? named from. It's named after this city in Florida? It's named after the city. They, they named <laughs> it. They, they went backwards. <laughs> it is the other way around. <laughs> I built this city with my bare hands. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be a great trip. This is going to be our first pilgrimage. Uh you know, we've all been stuck in our houses for two years with COVID, haven't been able to travel, haven't been able to do anything epic. And this eat, is going to be an epic trip. Eat, 
pray, party, repeat. Yeah. Eat, pray. You should make party, a t- you should make repeat. a t-shirt. You should make a t-shirt. <laughs> 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 That's going to be great. Yeah, we're going to eat, pray, party, and repeat, and Delacrosse is going to be our ringleader on that part. <laughs> He's so, so good at that. Yeah. So Don't go to, come to me for <laughs> confession. <laughs> go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash Fatima. You can find out the, all the, the full itinerary, and you can learn more about the trip and sign up. This will absolutely sell out because the demand is through the roof because everyone's so sick of being stuck in their house, and we're going to go do an epic trick because it's time, right? Absolutely. So the other thing we want to talk about, too, is our our Patreon. So, you know, we have awesome gear that we always talk about, bobbleheads, sweatshirts, you know, coffee cups, like these awesome coffee cups that Joanna hooked us up with, which were just incredible. But, you know, we have Zoom hangouts, you know, some content from my pastoral ministry at the parish that we're uploading, specialized content for our Patreon. But we're very excited to roll out before the end of this year. We're going to have two hangout sessions, one in St. Augustine in person and one in Pittsburgh visiting Catholic sites breweries, having some fellowship, having some fun. We've developed some amazing friendships through the Catholic Talk Show and the community that's been generated over the past few years. And it's time for our Patreon to to really, you know, get to know more of the people that support the show. Because, I mean, we've been in so many countries. We've been downloaded over 10 million times on YouTube. We're listened to on every type of podcasting Mm -hmm. forum, from iTunes to Spotify to Podbean. (laughs) We're syndicated through Catholic TV. And I can't believe I'm blown away and humbled that the show has come this far uh, over the past few years. It's just like our hangouts that we do on Wednesdays and the stories of some of the patrons that we had. And I'm sure some of our regular listeners, too. But the friendships that have been created, just the humility that I experience in God working in and through our silliness yeah. sometimes, you know? So look, there's a lot of great tiers. There's a tier that fits your budget. If you go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash Patreon, you'll see the different ways you can support the show because we couldn't do it without you. Look, we're not asking you to empty your 401k. We're asking maybe for you to empty your change dash, yeah, right? A few, a few bucks. Uh, you know, the, the lowest tier is five bucks. That's right. Like it, it's and that gets big... you access to be able to get invited to these hangouts. Yeah, it's, the across, hangouts. The, it's yeah. across the board. Like every tier is welcome to I mean, uh, I'm a $5 contributor just so that I can get invited to <laughs> You're things. a $5 contributor <laughs> on our live shows, which I appreciate. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. So, yeah, we want to give a big shout-out and thanks to all of our Patreons. If you're considering, check catholictalkshow.com forward slash Patreon. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And, you know, we're continuing to spread the show, and we need your help. God bless, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.